0: This is a podcast about relationships and especially about romance. And the text for the podcast is the 1964 movie, The Umbrellas of Cherbourg, Les Parapluies de Cherbourg. This film won the Grand Prix at the um, 17th uh, Cannes Film Festival and uh, was directed by Jacques Demy, a now famous French director who directed all sorts of movies I could talk to you about. And it had the odd uh, characteristic of being a, a, a kind of musical in which every single line of the love story, which takes place in uh, contemporary France beginning in, uh, 19 uh, to be exact, November 1957 and concludes in December 1963, this beautiful, colorful, romantic movie has the odd feature of being entirely sung, every single word, and the, I think, terrific French Composer Michel Legrand composed the music for the words which had been uh, written by Jacques Demy, who directed it. Now, um, I could go on and on. We all have an Umbrellas of Cherbourg story and uh, I saw it in France uh, and uh, it uh, had a a tremendous impact and then I saw it again in a movie theater in Washington and have loved the movie ever since. It has a long history of needing to be restored and then it was restored in 1996 I think partly through the efforts of the um, widow of Jacques Demy, Agnes Varda whose film uh, I also remember well and one of whose films, Le Bonheur I was shocked to uh, it, it showed a what is a frontal nudity of a female star, and I was both shocked and thrilled when I saw that long ago, but i don 't want to give either a kind of long campy recitation of this movie in Paul Zoll on the one hand, nor to give some kind of lecture about French unlikely auteurs such as Jacques Demy. I, I could honestly say a lot about both those subjects, but i don 't want to do it. I want to talk about relationships uh, as uh, very uh, powerfully expressed in word, a song, and very vivid colorized image of uh, this wonderful movie, The Umbrellas of Cherbourg. And I dedicate this podcast to Nick Greenwood, um, for whom uh, this movie, I believe, also is uh, in his top five. It may be Nick's favorite, favorite movie, but he and I have shared for many years a tremendous uh, attraction to this lovely, touching, marvelous movie. Now, there are essentially uh, three parts to the film which tell the facts about love relationships. And these three facts are as follows. The first is... The young man and the young girl have a passionate uh, teenage, uh, early young adult love affair. She is just 17, and uh, he is probably 19. And he works in a garage with a wonderful setup of song and music. It's almost like a South Park episode of all these mechanics singing to each other. And it's really good. It's the first scene in the movie. But you find out that Catherine Deneuve, whose uh, first big role I think this was... um, Maybe not her first role, but her first big role. She has fallen head over heels in love with uh, Guy, the mechanic, and they have a true and genuine, absolutely socko love uh, that is completely and totally credible. If you've been in love as a teenager, if you fell in love, it is your premier amour, your first love, and it is utterly and completely engrossing, and Thomas Carlyle wrote the last word about this phenomenon in the chapter about Blumen, the love of the hero of his odd, brilliant Microscopic look at the human condition and what it is to be a self in the true sense of that word, entitled Sartor Resartus. This a very great classic book has a chapter on first love that is absolutely true. It was true in 1840, and it's true in 2011, and it was true in The Umbrellas of Cherbourg, and in some absolutely beautiful. St- Stunning, lovingly uh, produced, presented and filmed duets. The um, Geneviève and uh, Guy declare their love and it is the most moving, beautiful thing. What this is, is these are human beings who all have an enormous energy, what I've called the love action. Frankie goes to Hollywood, you know, uh, um, the power of love. They've got the love energy in them, and they hit, and it connects, and it is total and complete and wondrous. Now, he is called up to fight in the French army and uh, to go to Algeria and fight, and so he has to leave for two years, and uh, they have this extraordinary... If you are forever, I will wait for you. You know the Oscar-winning song. Da da da, da 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 da, mid early late adolescent or the adolescent that lives in all of us it is the coming together of this beautiful girl and this wonderful young man for the once in a lifetime Uh, affair, which uh, uh, puts them in contact with true love. It is a fabulous experience. Beautifully filmed with all these colors to me. Actually took city blocks, apparently, of Cherbourg, which of course I want to go to. I got there very near there once and I didn't go to see the places where this was filmed. But he he uses these incredible pastel shades and these incredible beautiful um, umbrellas to create an effect of magic. And their love is absolutely real and totally gorgeous. And they are star-crossed. He must go to Algeria. Uh, They protest eternal love, which we have every reason to believe they could fulfill and uh, because their feeling is so beautiful and so self-sacrificing and so gorgeous. And they sleep together on the last night, and it's a very big thing in uh, this situation. Their, their families are both Catholic families. They don't plug the religious angle. This is not about people who are anti the church or trying to come out of a Pharisaism. They happen to be, each of them, uh, Catholics in the French manner who are of that period who are not at all antagonistic to the church. But nonetheless, they sleep together once and it is the climactic, we don't see it, but we know about it. And it is very powerful. And that's uh, how part one of this movie ends. And I just want to say to you, look, Hold on to first love. There's very few people I'm talking to here today who don't know about first love. Very few of you who are listening. Whatever your perspective on sexuality and gender and human relationships is, everyone knows what it is to have at least wanted and perhaps loved for the first time, uh, often and usually unrequitedly, or if requited, uh, not fulfilled finally, and it is one of these long-lost heart-punching um, uh, weights that you carry throughout your entire life, the burden of lost first love. And please don't tell me this isn't your experience in one form or another, in some way, if only at the level of longing. It defines the longing of that which is true and good in adolescence, which is so often because of all the interference of parents uh, and life, uh, is too soon. Now, part two, we see what so often happens in human relationships – interference on the part of a parent. In this case, interference on the part of the mother. Because the mother, um, uh, played wonderfully, uh, Madame Emery, the mother, played by an actress named Anne Vernon, beautifully uh, played, is an unhappy, uh, we would say, called single mother. Whether she's a widow or divorced, we never find out. But... She's in her 40s, and she is living her life through her daughter, Geneviève. Uh, today we would say she is attached. She is overattached to her daughter. Then we would have said she is simply living an unhappy life. She has a little tiny store that's beautiful but can only provide a very, very paltry living, a store that sells umbrellas, poetically. And uh, uh, she is living through her daughter. And when she finds out that her daughter is dating this young man, who's not a bad guy at all, he's not a, a, a horrible fellow, a, a, an unsuitable person, He's just very young. They're just very, very young. Jack and Diane. But it's not – she finds out about this and she absolutely puts her foot down and says, no way. And it's absolutely awful. And she's, of course, thrilled when Guy, whom I believe she never meets, the mother, uh, must leave for the draft and go to Algeria. Well, no love lost. And then she takes over. And part two is the situation in which Madame Emery, the mother, takes over – and she not only is um, thrilled uh, that this is, uh, let me see, I'm looking for something and I'm going to find it. She is absolutely thrilled that he is out of the picture. But then she finds out that uh, in the second part of Umbrellas of Schulbourg that Genevieve has conceived a child. And Geneviève has a beautiful, uh, the parts when Catherine Deneuve sings her hopes as a young girl to marry Guy and the hopes to have babies and they're going to find their way. And it doesn't really matter what they do or how they uh, sort of find their life. They will be together and they'll help her mother find her uh, proper footing. And she just is so dear and so ingenuous and so marvelous and so loving and so faithful and so put upon that your just heart goes out for this girl who is now severe severely put upon. Now it happens that in this entirely sung operetta, but that doesn't do it justice. They say it's a jazz musical score and that doesn't do it justice. It's kind of a pop um, sort of uh Spun cotton candy score, but with some very beautiful melodies and every so often a real jazz riff uh, that is not rock and roll, but a, a jazz movement that is very, not dark, but very memorable. Uh, Michel Legrand's playing the piano constantly and there's some wonderful melodies and I can give them to you because they, they're with me all the time, but I won't. I am going to sing one little section though just to show you how um, beautiful it is. <laughs> and uh, um, the mother now comes in and uh, it turns out not only has it been a crisis and Guy having to be drafted but uh, the note on her store has come due and she cannot pay and she goes she nous you know good God we are lost and Geneviève who's now still in the aftermath of her love and is very uh, just beginning to understand that she's pregnant she is um, so full of love and so suffused with feeling that she's not really like any she's really where it is she's in the right place she's suffused with love and she's not altogether undone by this this terrible fact that they uh, cannot afford to live any longer in this shop and she will have to sell it, her mother, and she tries to talk her mother out of it. And her mother is not only totally caught in the adult world of fictions, of you know, the so-called real world, which is all a fiction, um, <clears throat> in my view, and an illusion, but her, and her mother is not only that, but she's caught in and uh, she's living through her daughter. She's caught in an attachment which she is completely living her life through her daughter and therefore determined to stop her daughter from living the life her daughter's way. And she destroys completely the possibility of hope with Guy, and uh, it happens providentially because the music is full of magic that a diamond merchant or a jewel merchant named Roland cassar Roland Cassar happens to <laughs> over here <coughs> the mother's sad tale of woe in the in the sort of uh, um, um, high-toned pawn shop of Monsieur Dubourg and uh, the mother pours out her and is trying to pawn her jewelry or sell her jewelry and get an advance on some jewelry that she's very tight about and only giving a certain little bits of it to save her situation. And the Monsieur Dubourg refuses to give her any credit. In other words, they're going to have to sell their entire lives. And it's a time of real... Uh, nous sommes dans une situation difficile. And then... The lovely, and this is interesting, you see, there's not a bad, there's not a judgment here about different types of people. A very lovely intervention occurs. A young, probably 25, 26, just beginning jewelry merchant named Roland Cassard, who lives in Paris, presumably, and he's constantly going to Amsterdam to get diamonds and he sells jewelry. He is a good man, and he overhears the tale of woe from Genevieve's mother, and Genevieve is there, and he instantly, coup de foudre, coup de tonnerre, but really coup de foudre. Love at first sight. He falls in love with Genevieve. In a way, you might say, well, he sort of wants to collect her. This beautiful vision of a seventeen-year-old young blonde girl with such innocence and beauty, and so suffused with love, and as he does not yet know, pregnant with Guy's child. He may, in a way, be wanting to collect her, but that's only sort of modern thinking. I don't think that's meant in the script. When you see it in the movie, he's a sweetheart. He, he loves her. He falls in love with her and offers to help her mother. And he says, I'm not doing this. to. This is not philanthropy. This is not some way I'm trying to use to get pressure on you or your daughter. I just, I'm going to buy your jewels. And he saves them. Now, a few months later, he returns, and he's obviously got love in his mind, and he proposes to Geneviève in classic middle-class French way through the mother. In other words, she's got no dad. So he asks the mother's permission to ask Geneviève, and Geneviève's in the room, and he says she's completely free, and uh, the mother says, uh, this is beautiful, the mother has wrecked, uh, has, we find out that the mother, finds, she knows the daughter is pregnant, she's horrible about it, she's just awful, she just lectures her daughter something fierce, and puts down her daughter, and has terrible things about Guy, who's really a lovely guy, who's gone off to the army, who needs their support because he's gone into combat. Remember, you've seen uh, what is it called, the Battle of Algiers? You know, you've seen this. You know what it's like. This is a this is sort of the Near, near East in a in a 1962 uh, per, uh, way, 61. Uh, and uh, instead of supporting, she's horrible, and she absolutely puts down her, her foot. And her way she reasons with her daughter is just the worst of what a parent can do to sort of play all her cards and has all the power against her 17-year-old daughter. And she destroys her daughter's life and actually auctions her daughter off mentally, to this young man. Now, the man, Roland Cassard, who's come along is a great guy and a sweet guy, and he, in a way, if, if, if Geneviève weren't in love with Guy, it would be fine because he's a lovely, sweet man. But it's, uh, uh, what happens is the mother takes over, and she's said all along, oh, you're too young to get married, but as soon as Roland Cassard says he'd like to marry her, and he's got money and obviously can support her and support them both, she jumps at it. So she's venal, malicious, mean, uh, uh, controlling and manipulative. And this actually is in the movie. You'll see it. And these scenes are painful, although the music is so beautiful that it takes the, it, it's not too bad. And uh, she does have this wonderful... She tells about Roland cassard, She says, well, now, we don't even know you. Um, and he sings this beautiful song that stayed with me from the very first time I saw it. And I've actually memorized it. And she says, look, we, we know nothing about you. We, we'd like to be – we want to be very friendly, but we know nothing about you before I let you marry my daughter, whose life I've destroyed by so dissing her, her uh, true love uh, and being so angry and upset about this baby, which he would be glad, Guy, the true love, to come back and marry her. And Roland Casale in this beautiful – Oh, how can I describe this music? It's, it's um, sentimental, a lot of pathos, and yet noble and sweet in the truest sense of the word. Nous ne savons rien de vous. Says uh, We Don't Know Anything of You. And now I'm not going to translate I'm just going to sing it because I memorize this. It's, it's a jewel in my crown. Autrefois, <laughs> j'ai une femme. Elle ne m'aimait pas. On l'appelait Lola autrefois. Déçu, j'ai voulu oublier. Alors j'ai quitté la France. Je suis allé au bout du monde. Mais la vie me paraissait, t'es. sans et puis Lazarde M'a mis sur votre route. Da, 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 da. Then, dès que... J'ai vu Genevieve, j'ai su que je l'attendrai, and so forth and so on. What he's saying is, uh, long ago I loved a woman, says Roland Cassade. She didn't love me back. Uh, her name was Lola. Uh, that was a long time ago, but I was deceived. In other words, she was unfaithful to me, didn't like me, I found another guy, and I wanted to forget. So I left France. J'ai quitté la France. I went to the edge of the world monde, but life still remained not completely without attraction, and by chance I found myself here on your door. And the moment I saw Geneviève, I knew that I had to to attend to this, to attend to her. Ever since this meeting, this chance meeting in the the jewelry store of Monsieur Dubourg, he means, Ma ma vie a pris un autre sens. My life has taken another meaning. Oh, it's so great. So they get married. Now I want you to note, um, the second part of this podcast was how the mother destroyed her daughter's life, which she actually has, but she's been very dishonest about it because she immediately... When she found a better offer, she got her daughter to marry Roland Cassard, which her daughter has to do in a way you understand it. She's got a little baby. She's not getting an abortion. This is a different world not that long ago, but she's not going to get an abortion in this world she lives in, and she's going to bring up this little baby, and now a man has come along who has honestly said, and it's beautifully filmed, that not only do I love you, Genevieve, and I would like to marry you, but I will raise this child as my own. So he, he doesn't even mind the fact that it's not uh, his baby. So it's a very beautiful thing that he's done for her, and then the church music comes in, a little bit of saint Now, we see also in the Jacques Demy films, not in the Pied Piper, which is very anti-church, but that has a slightly different agenda, and is a quite a different movie, and a very very good one, I might add, with Donovan. But don't no worries. In this movie, uh, twice uh, the church comes into it. Uh, the uh, The marriage uh, we see a scene of them in a Catholic church getting being married, exchanging rings at the altar. It's very beautiful, and the music that Michel Legrand has of the organ of a Sanssouci organ is just gorgeous. Later on, when uh, the godmother of Guy dies, also there's a scene in church. They're kneeling uh, a, as the, uh, f- at the funeral and the same kind of organ music but this time of a, of, a, of a different sort comes in this beautiful beautiful organ music that Michel Legrand has put in and sort of programmed for a church organ. It's absolutely beautiful. I felt I was back in All Saints with, with Peter Crisofelli. I mean, the music is so beautiful. Well, um, this uh, remember, I've dedicated this to Nick Greenwood Now, um, what we see, the first thing was that true love is something inviolable and holy and sacred in your life. And the older you get, the more you remember it. A lot of people do strange things, by the way, in middle years when they meet their one true love at a high school reunion and boop! They get married to her. They leave their wife. It happens all the time. Um, watch that, everybody. You'll, you'll be aware of it in your body when you start having these sensations about your first love. And this love was messed with by a manipulative mother, and it is a terrible thing. Now, a dad could have been a manipulative in another situation. Um, there's a great story by William Hale White called Michael Trevannian. Michael Trevanion, in which a father interferes with his son's relationship, with his son's true love. And the father, who's a Calvinist, who doesn't really believe in doing anything, he he believes in the providence of God, uh, goes against all his deepest religious convictions in interfering in his son's relationship with a wonderful girl. And boy, oh boy, that's something to talk about. So it's not just women, uh, mothers, who interferes with daughters. Uh, Men can interfere with sons. Uh, Generally it works in the same-sex way. But the point is... Don't do it, and maybe it was done to you. Just ask yourself, was it done to you? Now, in the third act, <clears throat> and that's the one I want to talk about the most, or in the end, we have the most moving part for me of the whole movie. Because in the third act, the return, uh, the, uh, and this is, we're now in 1959 uh, f- through 63, <clears throat> and Guy comes back uh, to Cherbourg, after he 's been wounded in a grenade attack i mean he 's run into an Ied he 's been wounded and has a small pension and is very bitter about his war wound and most of all, of course he 's bitter about the fact is that he, he that Genevieve married him without telling him uh, bore their baby uh, the baby was adopted. and uh, basically left Cherbourg forever when she married Roland Cassart and they moved to Paris. And he comes back wounded and mentally more wounded than physically wounded because his life is is over. And the music uh, talk about depressed. They take the beautiful song If it takes forever I will wait for you. But they so Michel Legrand puts it in a different kind of a key and, it's, and, and, and instru- the instrumentation and orchestration is different and it's so sad and he sort of wanders around shell-shocked in every sense. Cherbourg doesn't know what to do and he, he has a godmother. He has no real relative in the world except a dear and sweet godmother named Elise and they have a beautiful conversation in which he describes that Genevieve's letters when he was overseas on duty became more half-hearted and more half-hearted and finally she stopped writing and then he later found out from somebody else that uh, Genevieve had married Rona Cassard and moved away, <clears throat> and he's so bitter, amer and so sad, triste, and so depressed and so angry and bitter, he's sort of like Tim Riggins in Friday night lights after Tim first returns from prison. Uh, after his year. And uh, Guy is a hero. He's not a bad man. Nor is Geneviève. Geneviève was only 17, and she's been pressured by her mother. And the man she married is not a bad guy, as I've tried to say. But nevertheless, um, she should have waited, and she could have waited. And it would have been possible for her to wait. And they would have had a lovely life. But they didn't, and it was over. And now he returns, and he's feckless and rootless, and he uh, has a wonderful scene in a bar. He just drinks and drinks and drinks. Cognac. Un autre. And the the bartender, Vous êtes tous les mêmes? You're all the same, these returning soldiers who are so depressed and angry and bitter and alcoholic. And he drinks and drinks and drinks and, nothing. And he goes to his job and he gets fired. He gets really angry on the job and has a scene at the same job where earlier he was sort of Friday Night Lights, the Dylan Lions. He was having a blast and I'm totally in a wonderful group of guys who cared for each other. Now he's in a group of guys he resents bitterly and he quits over a nothing in his machine shop and leaves. And he's in a very bad way and he comes home not knowing what to do. He, by the way, has spent the night with a prostitute and it's well done because who wouldn't in this situation? He's so depressed and a woman comes on to him who we really likes, and he spends the night, but then he finds out her real name is Genevieve, and he freaks out, and he leaves. He's a good guy. He's normal, but he's good. Just as Geneviève was normal and good, but she got pressured. Now um, he's alone, and it turns out that there's a young woman named Madeline, And Madeleine has been always part of the scene because she's sort of what we today would call the care provider for Guy's uh, uh, godmother. Um, go- her godmother, Elise, has a care provider, a sort of a companion, a young, beautiful brunette, reddish brunette hair, um, who's brown brown to black hair, lovely young uh, woman named um, Madeleine, who has been looking after Elise and Madeleine lives with Elise because Madeleine is about twenty two uh, has no family of her own, and she 's like so many people in Europe. These are all people with no big families because the birth rate 's so low, so you know Genevieve was the only child, and guy doesn 't have any parents that we know about like. So many, you know, not only is the birth rate low, but such as it is, it's dysfunctional and illegitimate and unprotected and single parents. And uh, poor Elise, his godmother, is all he has in the world. And uh, the, all she has in the world is his companion named Madeline, but he's a lovely, a lovely sort, lovely soul who just gives and gives and gives. And when he comes home after this, he's slept with a prostitute and he's just at the wits' end. And she announced, Elise is morte. And Elise has died. Now, at that point, they come together, and there are two astonishing scenes of the birth of real, free, adult loving. Because Guy begins to see that, that this woman in front of his eyes, Madeline, is a lovely person. And he begins to see that she is, she's given so much, and she says she, she's just going to have to leave because after the, her job is over now, this woman having died, she just needs to leave as quickly as possible because it's just too painful to stay in the apartment and Guy realizes that he's got someone here. He's got someone of real sterling character and she's pretty as she can be but um, she's not. She's modest we would say and she doesn't regard herself as pretty and he says no I need you here you need to help me will you mind staying and just help out and, until we've settled my godmother's affairs and, and stay here and and, uh, and just just you've come to mean something to me and I admire you and I, I'll continue to pay you to, to just uh, stay and, and sort of see that everything goes okay in the next month or so well don't you know they fall in love because Madeleine is a person of such loving heart. She's such a sweetheart. She's such a loving, clear. She's modest, but she's got a heart of such giving. And she's so just a genuinely lovely person that her quality shows. And Guy realizes this and he gradually falls in love with her. And then comes a scene. I think it's called uh, Sur la Terrasse. Let's see now. What's it called here? It's called The Terrace of the Café. By the way, I've got the English translation in front of it. So don't think I'm trying to snob you with my love of French. I happen to live in France at that period when I saw it. And I saw it in the eyes of a French person, a a wannabe French person who was learning how to speak and spoke well at that period in my teenage years and loved living in France and adored it. And this terrace of the cafe in June 59, he, she says, I I don't know, I think it's now time for me to go. And he says, no, you, 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 uh, you, I, 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 what if I were to say to you that I'm hoping that even though I would be a heavy burden, uh, would you... Partager, ta vie. Would you share your life with me? And she cries. Tu pleures. He, he's astonished. She cries. And he says, Oh, oh I've I, I put my foot in it. Uh, j'ai dit une bêtise. I've put my foot in it. And she says, Oh, no, no, you haven't put your foot in it. I'm, I'm, I don't know what to say. I This is a complete surprise to me. And then she says... My fear is, I, I could love you, Guy, but my fear is that, that you 're still thinking about Genevieve, and that you 're really only coming to me out of despair. It's a great line how many this is called rebound, this is, but it's a long it's only, it's you know a couple years after he's left uh, <clears throat> a couple years to maybe three after he's left uh, after Genevieve left and he went to the army. It's not a rebound in the way we think of rebounds, but she 's afraid, a very beautiful thing. I'm just afraid you might be loving me, not for myself, but out of despair. And he protests not, and he means it. He 's very sincere. I know I can love you you I want to love you I do love you will you share my life I, I don't have any ambition he says but if we, I don't have much ambition in the human sense I'm not a careerist but if we could live together and side together if we could decide together, uh, by the way, earlier, you see, Genevieve, when she married Roland Cassard, couldn't make her own judgment. She was forced into it by her mother and the need to help her mother as she saw it. And she was forced into a marriage that, uh, that that although Roland Cassard turns out to be a lovely man, uh, Genevieve, partly f- concerned for her child and partly out of her mother's thing, um, did it. But she wasn't free. But M- Madeleine does not want to wear Marry Guy until she feels he's free, and this is the essence of relationships. By the way, you, you can declare your love, and someone can say, "Yes, I accept your love," or I, I'm "Off, I do not, I do not love you back." You have to; the person has to be entirely, needless to say, free. And you'd be amazed at how many relationships are not free for one reason or another. I mean, there are many ways in which you know money can be a mm-hmm. tremendous factor. in in relationships, especially the longer you go on in life. And the need for security can mean financial security. can be a huge thing. And in this economy, are you kidding? The need for a visa, you know, the need for some kind of protection, the need for stability. These are all things that can play in. And so uh, Madeline says, I I can imagine loving you, Guy. I I already have feelings for you, but I will not marry you unless I believe that you are truly free as best as you can be of your feelings for Geneviève and uh, you're not marrying me out of despair, and he says so, and it's very touching, and she cries, and he cries, and he's a dear, this is a good man, now we come to the end, and the end of it is as powerful as it can be, because it says so much about where we need to be and where we aren't, because today he would be tempted to do what he doesn't do, and uh, he is in fact tempted, and he says no, not because he's out of control, and not because he's gritting his teeth, but because he is truly uh, knows where he is and he knows what life is about and he knows what he has. Um, it's Christmas Eve, wouldn't you know? It is Christmas Eve. Note the residual Christianity. And it is, let me give you the exact date, it is Christmas Eve 1963. We are in a gas station because he's opened up an Esso gas station, which at the time always made us laugh because it seemed like an adver- what today is called concealed advertising. It, it, we couldn't believe that it was an Esso gas station in this French movie. <clears throat> but... He's with Madeleine and they've decorated the little tree in the office of the gas station and he's the mechanic and they have a baby, a little boy named Francois who, by the way, was the name that Geneviève and Guy had fantasized about when they would have children long before in the earliest part of the movie. Remember, we're in part three. First, true love lost. Two, a mother, a parent interferes and destroys other people's lives. Number three, redemption in the form of this lovely, unheralded, modest, quiet, wonderful woman who's also really beautiful and who's absolutely full of soul. And Guy understands this. And they, in a way, save one another. And now... The um, his wife now his wife Madeleine and their little boy Francois who's about four are going to go off and see Santa Claus, Père Noël, and they're just but just before dinner they're going to go off before he closes the station for the night they're going to go off and go to the sort of uh, Christmas fair that they're having in Cherbourg and go around the corner and then he's going to sort of wait and, and and they go off and exactly at the second as they disappear out of the frame Madeleine and the little boy Francois a big Rolls-Royce pulls up. Now, the it's is beautifully directed. It doesn't, it's not a weight. It's a, like they go out of the frame and at the exact second, a big black Rolls-Royce uh, pulls up. That, that is an astonishing touch of the director. And guess who's in the Rolls-Royce? It's Geneviève. Now wealthy, now living in Paris. Now, as we see with a beautiful child, Francoise, who is exactly their child, that is Guy and Geneviève's child. And... Uh, uh, she has a beautiful mink coat on. Uh, the, you, she's not flaunting her wealth. She doesn't have a chauffeur. She's, she is, uh, although when the little mechanic, the assisting mechanic comes in and says, what kind of gas do you want in your big car? And she says, I don't care. It's indifferent to me because right now she's talking to her once true love and she's in a state. And he says, he presses her. It's so typical of what happens in life. Right in the middle, you're in a dramatic situation and somebody calls with a survey or somebody at the, is at the door wanting something from you. This means, or the termite guy comes right when you're getting your, you know, you're having a scene. With your husband or your child or your father, you know, but anyway, he keeps pressing her, what kind of gas, and she says, and he says, well i 'll put super in it in other words she 's super she 's got the mint coat, she 's got this beautifully dressed child in red, this gorgeous limo, uh, but, but she 's driving this Bentley, and uh, they look at each other. He comes out the door window gee, and it 's very well done we in America, we weigh we 'd go way we 'd overdo it. The look on Catherine Nineveh's face as she sees her once true love is fantastic. Now, I'm going to go on a few more minutes longer than usual because it's worth it. I'm going to talk about this scene because there's something very personal and pastoral for you, the listener, for all of us in this scene. The look on her face and and he recognizes her and she recognizes him and says, oh, gosh, this is five. They haven't seen each other for five years, six years. And he says, viens au bureau, come into the office. She says, it's really cold out here. He says, well, come into the office. <clears throat> beautiful, with such sadness. And now you begin to hear this beautiful music. It's the... Eh, but <clears throat> now we're going to see it in its most operatic form. We hear that. And she walks into the thing and she notices the prettily decorated tree in the corner of the, the gas station's office. And she says, oh, did you decorate this? And he says, no, it was my wife. We did it for our son, Le Gosse, the kid. And uh, she says, oh, what have you called him? And he says, Francois. And, of course, that's the name that they had planned. And she says, the dialogue is important here, she volunteers all the information. He asks nothing about her. She asks many questions about him. And she says, well, I called our son, notre fils, our daughter, sorry, notre fille, I called our daughter, Francoise. So out in the Bentley is little Francoise, who is their child of their true love, Thomas Carlyle, you know, magical union. And inside is Guy alone, not protected by his wife. That is, emotionally protected by the presence of his wife, Madeleine, and their little boy, François. And he must face this woman whom, of course, at one level, he's never forgotten. He was terribly hurt by her, but he loved her more than anything. And it's a very powerful moment. He was both hurt by her, but she you know—you have sympathy for her. Yes, she's the rich, you know what, witch, but she's also who she was. She was forced into it, and she tells a lot about herself. And he—he, he, she doesn't ask many questions except a few intrusive ones uh but you, she says well i'm i moved from Cherbourg uh, after my marriage and uh then uh, i've just come back from uh taking uh, our little boy uh girl francoise uh, to visit her um her uh, uh um her grandmother, my mother-in-law, my belle mère in Anjou, I love this, not Hackensack, but Anjou, hocus, you know, and she says, I've come to, uh, I've just brought her back for Christmas to, and I'm going on my way to Paris, and I had, it just happened that we stopped here, and she's telling the truth, it was, il a fallu par hasard, it happened by chance, this is how life often is, though. It happened by chance. I have, you know, I, you know, you won't know what became of my baggage, and well, with all this, I thought I was in the wrong place, you know, with Jonathan Harker, with Dracula, but he, there there they are, and she's arrived by chance, and she's beautiful, and her her hair is tied up in such a sophisticated and gorgeous way. And then we have the key moment of the entire film, as far as I'm concerned. <clears throat> she says to him, would you like to come and see our daughter? who's playing out in the... Uh, car beautiful little child and uh he says uh he doesn't say anything he shakes his head no now that is powerful what would happen today is that he would say all right and he would go out he'd see the daughter Catherine is beautiful and alone he's without his wife who's going to take their son somewhere they would embrace passionately and he would say, "I've loved you always. I've loved you always. Oh my God. Oh my God. I love you. I love you." And they would either have sex right there in the sort of men's room of a, the the restroom of the station, or they'd they'd uh, they'd arrange to meet, exchange numbers, and they'd call and they'd meet in you know a week somewhere, um, and they'd come back together again. And he would come and claim the child, and they would go off together. And Roland Casar would be left in the lurch, who had been really great with this kid. He's not a bad guy. A good guy. He he didn't d- decide. He didn't know that. Uh, Uh, Geneviève was passionately involved with another person whom she was not married and had a baby, was carrying a baby. Nonetheless, uh, her true love was Guy and not Ronald Cassar. He would be uh, undone and of course, um, uh, the, the baby, there'd be a custody battle. She might get the child and Guy would leave Madeleine and little Francois who had done so much, who's cared for the only relative he had in the world for years in this little flat in Cherbourg. I mean, good Lord. That's what would happen today though because they would do their thing. And I can understand it. I mean, you can feel The actor, let's see, the actor who plays Guy, and I'm going to give his name. His name is Nino Castelnuovo. Nino Castelnuovo projects a deep strength and a male love for Madeleine, his real wife, and a deep understanding of what it's all like and what he can and cannot do, and knowing that if he even goes one step in that direction, he is lost he is able without praying i mean i mean if I'm, I'm praying for him i'm praying It's this moment the moment i see the them get, go and the, the the suddenly the big black bentley appears in the in the frame i say oh my god you know um and he doesn't he he uh he uh shakes his head and doesn't go. And at the same time, the gasoline guy comes in and says, Madame, your car is ready. And uh, he says, uh, um, tu peux partir, which means you can leave now. The translation here says, uh, you're all set. I can't stand. That's not... What he's saying is, it's time for you to go. I I can't even... I can't even begin. You are where you are, and I am where I am, and this is my path, this is my life. And um in that is very deep. His feelings for her are very evident. He is in a sense he will never recover from this great event that happened when he was nineteen and she was seventeen. And there is this baby who, however, is being beautifully cared for. You can see that. But he cannot get involved because he knows that he stands on the brink of, of a of disaster. And a, a true and, and so without it, he does he's not he doesn't try to he just says he won't go. He is smoking a cigarette at this point, by the way, because he's anxious. Very normal. This is exactly what would happen. It's real. And she says, tu vas bien? You okay? You know, you okay, Guy? And he says, oui, je vais très bien. Yes, I'm doing very well. In other words, you know, are you okay? I mean, like maybe, maybe we should, maybe we were wrong, and maybe we can still rewrite our lives. We're still young. Maybe we can just go back to each other and pretend this never happened. And I can have, we can have our child and live in la la land, even though we've we will destroy the lives of others. You know, uh, my mother's dead. After all, he, she does tell him that her mother died last autumn. Oh, and he he says no. Uh, she says tu vas bien, and he says yes. Très bien. The things are well, very well with me. And she looks at him again, appealing, as you always do. I mean, I understand where she's coming from, and I understand where he's coming from. She's appealing to him. And he looks down. Uh, He's not cruel. He's not even brusque. He looks down. And then she goes, and she gets in the car, And the uh, guy, the gasoline, whatever, the attendant comes and wipes off the snow. It's in the snow because it's Christmas time and wipes off the snow and sort of ushers her out of her spot in the by the gasoline pump. And off she goes. And in the same frame. Madeleine and Francois come back. Same idea. She got, and as the car is literally leaves the frame, they walk on. Now you know that was that, that they did that that they planned that they did take after take after take. Because Jacques Demy wanted to say, it's like a movie. It's like it's like the moment. Uh, it's like an interruption. This is an interruption to a real life rather than a return to something that would be false in this context. This is an interruption for both Genevieve and Guy. And the, as we see the rear bumper of the Bentley go off, at that exact second, Madeleine and her baby, their little boy, Francoise, comes. And then you see the father, Guy, kneels down. He kisses. Uh, oh, it's, you know, it's very moving. He kisses his wife. And the little boy, and he, he kneels down and he plays the little boy, and he 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 does snowballs, the little boy, and he's he's a little boy has a little yellow <laughs> slicker on, and uh, a Macintosh we used to, it was a slicker, and it's just the cutest little thing in the world, and he plays with his son, just with complete delight, and uh, and uh, the mother Madeleine watches them, and then it, and then the camera pulls back Mizoguchi fashion, as if to say, we leave our loved characters now to their lives. This is the end, and uh, fin. Appears on the screen. Well, what does that say? It says that um, it says that it is possible, out of love, to both honor the past and yet not be re-glommed into it, not to go to go back into the blob creature of this inviting, engulfing past that would destroy everything, because uh, it's gone and God has worked and provided, and this is a beautiful, powerful, um, loving, happy. Uh, direction for both of their lives. it is the best Genevieve is going to do with that mother it 's a miracle that she has what she has, and she has a lot and Guy, who was burned so terribly and was injured in a uh, attentat Ganat <laughs> He was attacked with a grenade and lost You know he's been terribly wounded and physically and then dumped by the one who said she would wait forever for him because of her mother. She did this, and now he has found a true love in the wonderful Madeleine. Well, the movie is not available. It was made available on dVD in nineteen ninety six with a color I and mean, video with a beautifully restored version. I saw it in the movie theaters and in Paris when it was so beautiful, it was just I uh, uh, can't believe this. I I was more interested in the color schemes, like Red Desert by Michelangelo Antonioni. You know, unbelievable. But um, I was interested more in that. Although I remember sort of thinking how sad the movie was. I you know, but um, it's not really sad at all. It's very noble. Um, and uh, and romantic in a positive way. Thank God for the Madeleines and Guise of this world, and thank God that God has a plan, you know, for everyone. And Geneviève also, in a way, lucks out, because she's got the diamond ring. This diamond ring doesn't mean what it's given for, and this, you know, uh, Gary Lewis. Uh, it's a very, very powerful movie, but it was made and it was uh, restored in 1996, but you can't get it for love or money. It costs like $100. By the way, if anyone wants to get it for me, I would be thrilled. You can, you can get it off Amazon, but it might cost you up to $65, to $95 to get a copy of it. I'll get it in video, by the way. I don't mind it in video because I love to play my video. I do not have it, but I do have the... uh I do have my original record of it, which I've been using. My record I bought in 1966 or 65. I think it was 66 and I bought the record for this uh, movie. So that's what I've been using, my little old record of it. But it's well-preserved and lovingly. See this great, wonderful movie. Uh, Cherish your moments of true love as an adolescent, whatever form they took. They were you. They were wonderful. Your love was that boy's got a boogie. It's got to come out. You know, you, the love had to come out. And it came out in some form when you were an adolescent. You were a teenager. It came out in some way. And then uh, it may have been smushed. You've been under the drum of all sorts of people. And uh, uh, it is right to be free, to be libre, and uh, finally, Guy is freed by the very fact that poor Genevieve is not free and she 's not emancipated she's held bondage not by Roland Cassard but by her parent in this case, by her mom and then uh, but remember it could be a, it could be a father, a lot of fathers do the same thing to their sons, but in a different format, and sometimes even in the same as the William Hale White's story, Michael Trevanian says. And then the third part where true love is finally justified in the most wonderful and beautiful um, physical way. They love each other and they're mad about each other and yet he is so profound in the way he, he simply bows his head and will not actually go and even see the child because he knows what it would mean. He knows what the meaning of setting his foot outside the door with her, he knows the meaning, and a lot of people want to be—you know—they uh, don't want to be realists about this. Oh, you know, he should have been able to go out and take responsibility for the child, because after all, no, sir, no, sir, he understands what reality is, and the reality is is that the connection that existed between Genevieve and Guy is so strong that he is playing with fire, truly playing with fire, and he does the noble, right, good, and loving, and even ultimately sensual thing of not going there. And with great dignity and without words and with no brazen brusqueness or meanness, he is able to communicate the true nature of the love where he is at the moment, which will serve him forever. I just hope they have a daughter. (laughs) You know, I hope they call the daughter Madeleine. That's what I hope. Anyway, much love to you. Thank you for listening. Lots of love, hugs. And this is the end of my podcast on Le Parapluies de Chambourg.